Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Let's jump in the word. If you would come me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I really want to invite you to turn there if, if you can, if you're on a phone or device. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to look at verses 1 and 2 in the ESV. Isn't it nice having this wall down? I like that a lot. (laughs) It's good. It's good to see so many faces here. Um, I want to preface what we're about to do today and over the next few weeks. I can't really put into words what I'm exactly feeling of of how powerful and significant this will be, but I I honestly believe that what we're going to tap into over the next few weeks will be one of the more significant teachings that we have done in some time Uh, We're going to have some different voices come forward and share, which will add just depth and different perspectives that will be really rich. Uh, We'll have Johnny Caesar is going to be sharing on this as well. And so it's going to be really incredible. So I just want to put that before you that whatever you got to do to just journey with us over the next few weeks, I believe it'll be so transformative. And what's amazing is that it's so foundational. But I have been so gripped, really going back to Evangelism Week, those two weeks, I've been so gripped by the simple gospel. I've been so gripped by something that's so foundational but so transformational. And I believe God is inviting us over the next few weeks to just really anchor our hearts into the gospel message. And one of the things that's burning in my heart is, yes, the gospel is for the lost, of course, but the gospel is just as much for believers. It's really, really important that we keep the gospel before us. And I, I feel a particular burden as, as the shepherd in this house to to just have us like standing firmly in the gospel reality and not drifting from that. Amen? Amen? So this is where we're going. I promise you, just stay with me. Today we're laying a foundation, but where it's building, like I believe we're going to be left in awe as to what God has done with our sin in the sun on the cross. And it's going to liberate hearts. I see condemnation breaking off of hearts. I see people that have been stuck and kind of pittering out and not able to get traction for the new life, finding traction when you know you have peace with God. Do you know that if you believe in Christ, you know you have peace with God? (laughs) You have peace with the Father. (laughs) And we don't drift from that. So just prepare your hearts for what the Lord is going to do. Honestly, I just believe he's going to breathe on the gospel. It's going to come alive again in our hearts. And it's going to lead us into wholly pursuing God. Amen? Breaking shame and whatnot. So first, Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. This is really laying a foundation for not just today, but for the weeks to come. Amen. Let's read it, and then, uh, and then we'll break it open. The Apostle Paul writes, now I would remind you. That's very important. He says, I would remind you, brothers and sisters of the gospel I preach to you. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand. It's very important. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, sanctified. And by which, I'm sorry, if, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
So the Apostle Paul says something. He says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you. If you actually read through Paul's epistles, you'll find language like this all over the place. He is constantly reminding, he's not speaking to unbelievers in these letters, he's speaking to believers. And he's constantly reminding believers of the gospel that he had preached. There is such power in the message that we are going to set our hearts on over the next few weeks. The gospel, I believe one of the reasons why the gospel is so powerful is because the gospel is the primary means and message for which the Son of God is unveiled to human hearts. Jesus appears in dreams in many other places. We know that. He's done it to Muslims in the Middle East. But the primary message for which the Son of Man is revealed to a human heart is by the proclamation of the good news. That is why it is so powerful, because Holy Spirit loves to bring light to Jesus. Father loves to confirm the Son. So whenever we start tapping into the gospel, there's a lot of power that comes behind that. That's why Paul said, I'm unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. He understood, when I start proclaiming this message, everything starts changing around here. So I want to make sure we're on the same ground as we go forward, because we're going to look at why it's so important to stand in this gospel. But I want us to know this. The gospel... Many ways you can summarize it, but it is the glorious good news of what our triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, has graciously provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Namely, that he has satisfied his own wrath that stood against us, therefore bringing forgiveness of sins to the human heart, which ultimately leads to one climactic truth, fellowship with God. The wrath of God is removed off of our life. We've got forgiveness of sins, and as a result, we can be reconciled back to the Father. Fellowship with God. When we believe on the Lord, the Holy Spirit comes, dwells inside of a man, and we get to walk with God and have eternal life now. For eternal life is to know God. I want you to know that the gospel is an historical event. It is an accomplished reality. Why is that important? Because it is unalterable. No power in heaven and earth can reverse this, can overturn it, can vote it out. Jesus and Christ crucified is a finished work. And nothing will ever change that. And the gospel is the gospel of God, meaning God is the source of it, not man. Man doesn't create it. Man doesn't craft it. The only thing we can do is respond to it by repenting of our sins and believing in the message of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you will experience freedom. <laughs> For the gospel is not just forgiveness, but it's freedom. And we need that just as much. Amen? Amen. So look, look what Paul says, though, because here's what I really want to get into if we're on the same page. Paul says specifically that the gospel that I want to remind you of, brothers and sisters, that I preached to you is the one in which you received and in which you stand. Now, most of the time, when we think of the gospel and the good news, I know for me, is I'm, uh, my tendency is to think about a message I once heard when I was lost and bound and came into faith in Jesus, and that's true. But, but what I want us to see is that what Paul is saying is that we didn't just receive the gospel, that's true, we're still standing in the gospel. Let me ask you this, what did you contribute to your salvation when Jesus came to you? Nothing, except the need for him to die for me. Do you understand that just as much today I am dependent on the blood of Jesus as I was when I was lost in addiction? I want to be clear. Are we changing? Yes. Are we transforming? Yes. Is there fruit coming from our lives? Yes. But the fruit of the gospel is not the gospel itself. 
And I, even with all of the maturity and the changing and the hunger that I'm running after God with today, which we should see, the reality is my foundation is still Jesus. I can't read enough. I can't pray enough. I can't preach enough sermons. I can't lead people to the Lord enough to ever be made right with God. I am just as much today saying, Jesus, I need you as when I first came to know him. And if what happens is if we don't stand in the gospel, guys, we're going to see today there are devastating consequences that come to the human heart. Your works become burdensome. They become shackles rather than liberation out of joy, the joy of salvation to run freely after God. Now these things are how we're keeping and maintaining our relationship with God, and we're never quite sure if we're doing enough. Oh, the beautiful news of resting in Jesus. To stand means to remain, to tarry, to continue, to abide. I think we all can agree. We all know the scriptures say that, that prior to Christ we were dead in sin. Yes? Well, I just had this picture this week of a dead car. And this is how I often, if I'm not careful, think of the gospel and what Jesus did in my life. When a car is dead, you take shocks and you give it a jump and then the car goes on its way. <laughs> but that's not what Jesus has done. Jesus has not just given us a jump start and now for us to go off on our own. I mean, he's the engine, he's the car, <laughs> he's, he's the road, he's, he's, he's everything. He didn't just say, here's a way to get you going and now you can do this for the rest of the way. I'm still, listen, we need to, I need to wholly cast myself on Jesus every single morning. Because if not, here's what I'm tempted to do. God, what do I need to do today to make you accept me, love me? What do I need to do today to make, make me feel like you're with me? And the answer is, you can't do anything. And you never will be able to do anything. All of your good works are beautiful privileges, but they will never be the foundation. The gospel is the foundation of our life. In fact, to stand, to stand means something that you can, uh, something that's concrete. So we not only receive the gospel, we can stand in it, which means it's concrete, it's, it's strong, it's firm. The gospel, guys, is not fragile. It's not fragile. The, God, the, the blood of God, what can we say? The author of Hebrews says, how can we compare the, compare the blood of a goat and the blood of God? <laughs> you are not standing on a fragile gospel. It's not weak. It's not unstable. But it is sure ground. In fact, the gospel is the only sure ground and firm ground that we can stand on for the rest of eternity. No matter how many amazing things God is doing through our lives and all the ways in which we're growing with the Lord, which we know the gospel leads us into that, at the end of the day, though, there is one thing that I can stand on. It's Christ crucified forever and ever and ever. And here's what I have found in my life, and maybe you can relate. I see a lot of times, and I see the Lord's going to do this, this over the next few weeks. One of the things, I mentioned it before, but I want to say this, that a lot of times I find we don't, we don't have traction to run in the new life. I almost picture it like this. We're like tires spinning in mud. And the reason why we can't run wholly after God is because the only way we can find traction to pursue God with all that we have is when we know we're at peace with God and when our hearts have come into agreement with that peace. And many times we're spinning in circles because we're not really rooted and secure in what Jesus has actually done. I have found in my own life and many others, many seasoned saints are paralyzed by defiled consciences. Their conscience is so weak because they think the gospel's so, they don't know where they stand with it, that even the smallest misstep causes whatever little joy and peace to be squeezed out of their life. 
But there is a way to find traction. There is a way to run fully after God, even through all the, the left turns, right turns, ups and downs, is to know that what Jesus did is enough, is enough for you and will always be enough. Amen? Amen. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to, uh, I want to basically, there's many things, there's many things I could say, but I, I felt the Lord highlight two reasons why we as Christians, believers, need to stand in the gospel, okay? I want to look at two potential consequences that happen when we drift from being rooted in this, and then we're going to pray afterwards, okay? All right, so let's come to Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter 1. I promise as we journey, we'll talk about how the gospel leads us, grace leads us uh, into holiness and into running after the Lord, but we must be rooted in this finished work. So Galatians chapter 1. So two things God's placed in my heart for why I feel like as believers we really need to stand in the gospel. These are just two things I think the Lord's going to do over the next few weeks and even this morning. So I want to read two portions of scripture. Galatians 1, 6 and 7, and then I'm going to read chapter 3 really quick because Paul's basically saying the same thing with different words, and then we'll, uh, we'll unpack it. Galatians 1, verse 6 and 7. Listen closely to Paul's words. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Isn't that incredible? Paul says, I'm astonished that you started in one place and how quickly you are drifting to another gospel. Now he says, verse 7, not that there's another gospel, not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you, we'll talk about that in a sec, and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So Paul is not again speaking to unbelievers, he's speaking to believers who started with an understanding of it's Jesus and Jesus alone, but over time something has happened and they're drifting from that reality. Now look at Galatians 3, verse 1. The Apostle Paul is essentially saying the same exact thing, different language, but it adds some depth to what we're about to do and look at. Verse 1, chapter 3 in Galatians, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? It actually means who has put a spell on you in some sense. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Do you guys hear that? He says, you saw Christ crucified with your own eyes. You saw what he did and what he paid for. Let me ask you this. He says, did you receive the Spirit by faith in Christ alone or by you doing enough good things to receive the Spirit? But this is where they were starting to go. Verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So two different places, Paul is saying the same thing. <laughs> He's speaking to a church that's not standing in the gospel, not at least the one that they received. Now, to understand what we're, like, application for us, just journey with me for a minute so we understand context. Here's what Paul was getting at, and here's what was going on at the church at Galatia. It's important for us to know that the early church, or let me say this, Christianity is really the fulfillment of Judaism. Yes? <laughs> it's the extension, the fulfillment of it. All we're saying is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah that was promised first to the Jews who would be a light to the Gentiles, he's come. So Christianity is Jew and Gentile coming together. 
The early church then was actually first started with Jews who believed Jesus was the Messiah, okay? Then what happened is the door was opened up for non-Jews, Gentiles, to come into the faith. And then what began to happen is a question began to arise among the Jews. Can a Gentile be made right with the Father just through faith in Christ, or must they first, in essence, become Jewish first? How do they become Jewish first? It would be by circumcision. So there was a specific group called the Judaizers who came into this church who actually believed in Jesus as the way, but they were adding something to the gospel. They were saying to the Gentiles, yes, Jesus is the way, but it's Jesus plus circumcision that makes you right with the Father. And what Paul says is, guys, hold on. If you start to believe that and if you start to do that, then Christ has died in vain. Think about that. What he's saying is if we start adding one simple thing to this gospel as to why Christ has saved us and why we're right with God, the whole gospel falls apart. Because grace is only grace if it's fully grace. <laughs> now look, we, we say, well, that sounds, that's really interesting, but we live in the 21st century. We don't deal with the circumcision issue. That's right. But I promise you this. Watch your life and look Look at little errors. You'll, you'll be surprised how subtly little things that we are actually called to do begin to be mixed in with now what we're thinking is keeping us right with God. Church, put whatever you want. Church attendance, giving, <laughs> spending time with the Lord is a big one for me. Listen, that if, you, if spending time with the Lord is what's keeping you right with the Father, it goes from an oasis to a prison really quickly. <laughs> and you're not really sure if you're ever really doing it right or doing it long enough. Now, I want to be really clear. This is what's so tr tricky is that the gospel leads to these good things. But I can't be clear enough that the fruit of the gospel is not the gospel. Your maturity is not the gospel. Because that can fluctuate. But the one thing that you're standing on is Jesus and Christ crucified. There's a major difference between the conditions of the gospel and the consequences of the gospel. Going to church, tithing, <laughs> running after God, walking in righteousness, growing in the word, worshiping God, being plugged into community, put whatever things you want there. Those are all real things that happen, but they are all consequences of the gospel. They are not conditions for the gospel. Those are not the ways in which you got saved. And Paul says the gospel that you received is the gospel that you stand in. Has the gospel ever changed? It's never changed. What happens though is if we don't keep it before us, we start changing it saying, Here's what happens. You guys with me? <laughs> Here's what happens. And I think it happens from a good place. But we think because I'm maturing, it's only right that it started off 100% Jesus. But if I'm really maturing, now it should be 50% Jesus, 50% me. But in the kingdom of God, maturity is marked by dependence, not independence. Actually, what's happening in my life, and I'm sure many of you can uh, attest to this, is I'm coming into a greater awareness of the one who saved me and how desperate I need him. So, so there are real conditions that come out. The gospel really transforms. The gospel really brings us into freedom. But freedom, transformation, all those things are the byproduct. And I think this is so important for a community like ours because we're in a very hungry community for Jesus. <laughs> and I love it. And it shouldn't be any other way. We're hungry for Jesus. We pursue Jesus. We're running after Jesus. I see people dropping their nets for Jesus. We said that last week. I see people giving everything for Jesus, really. I've watched people completely change their lives, give up jobs, whatever it takes to run after the Lord. And that's actually an appropriate response to the gospel. But we must always know in a community that's really hungry for the Lord that our hunger is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's Christ crucified. 
And no matter how much hunger comes out of our lives, that's not what's keeping me to this day. It's one thing alone. I'm casting myself on Jesus right now. Guys, what a joy should hit our hearts with that. <laughs> what a joy and a peace that hits our hearts, knowing it's still Christ to this day. 100% him, yes? Look at verse 6 and 7 one more time. He said, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the gospel. <laughs> so quickly. Paul is showing us our tendency that if we don't stand in the gospel, we are all really quick to begin to drift from it. Right? Why do we do that? I believe, <laughs> here's my way of putting it, I believe it's because we're all recovering Pharisees. <laughs> I do. I believe because of fallen nature... And because of the law and the fallen nature, the fallen nature is bound to operate by law. We're so accustomed to say, you, you get out what you put in. Grace is so otherworldly. So if you don't keep it before us, we're so prone to go back to this. In fact, let me take it a step further. I believe we're so prone to start to add things into our salvation, not just because we're, we're recovering Pharisees, but if we're really honest, I like, to, I like to be able to point to reasons as to why God is keeping me. <laughs> It's the pride of man. It's disguised in piety. It's disguised in being so serious about our walk. But really what it is, is a lot of times there is actually a pridefulness that wants to say, the reason why God keeps me is because of Jesus and because of this. So you know what Paul said? Paul said in, I think it's Galatians 5, he said, by preaching circumcision, they remove the offense of the cross. Think about that. He says, by preaching circumcision, you remove the offense. You say, what do you mean? By preaching circumcision, they no longer preach grace. And by not preaching grace, they remove the offense of the cross. You say grace is so sweet. It is sweet, but first it's bitter. First, grace is really bitter. Because here's what grace says. When grace touches a human heart, it says you contribute nothing to this salvation. It touches every strand of pride in the human heart and rips it away and says there's nothing I can contribute to my salvation outside of the need for Christ to die for me. And if we are willing to go through the bitterness first of that grace, you will then t taste the sweetness of Jesus being forever and finally and fully enough for you. When we preach anything else, we actually remove the offense of the cross. The offensiveness of the cross is that we can't do anything but look upon the Lord. <laughs> and that which we stand in is that which we received. And it's never changed. In fact, verse 7, he says... Look, look carefully, he says, but there are some who trouble you. That's the Judaizers. I'm in Galatians 1, verse 7. Some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What does distort mean? Distort in the Greek, some translations put pervert. It means to bring out of order. So what were these guys doing? The gospel message is grace touches your life. Grace transforms you and leads you into a beautiful new life of holiness and righteousness. What these guys were saying is first you need to do the right works and then grace will touch your life. And Paul said they are distorting it. They're bringing the gospel out of order. In fact, they are nullifying the grace of God is what he said. What is the gospel that we receive? The gospel of grace. What is the gospel then that we're standing in? The gospel of grace. It is the same gospel. It's so simple. <laughs> we make it really complicated. <laughs> We, listen, I want to illustrate it this way. I want you to see this. Imagine I've never drank out of this water, sealed cap, brand new bottle of water. Yes? <laughs> okay, it's never been touched before. And imagine I go up to my wife and I say, would you like this bottle of water? 
right? Or any one of you. It's pretty hot in here, yes? <laughs> any, any one of you would say, I'll take that bottle of water. Now, just imagine this. Imagine I take this bottle of water, I open it up. It's still never been touched. Kind of strange, but I happen to have a little dropper in my pocket. <laughs> I take out a dropper, and it has poison in it. Now, imagine I take that dropper, but listen carefully. I don't put the whole thing in. Imagine I take that dropper, and imagine I squeeze, I mean the tiniest bit of poison like the drip is hanging on there that drop is hanging on there for like a minute we're just watching and then finally it drops off and hits it right i put the cap back on and then i give it to my wife or any one of you would you drink it absolutely not why not isn't it isn't it mainly pure no 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 once you put a small drop in it's completely contaminated this is how it works with the gospel of grace and works once you add one bit of work and once you begin to think, one reason why, this is why God is still saving me to this day, you've stepped away from the gospel of grace. One small drop, and Paul says, you actually removed it. It is forever and always Jesus. So one other thing, I'm going to share the other point. The gospel should cause us to shift our approach to life. Really almost, it should shift the way we live, like our paradigm, and the way we engage with God. And if we don't stand in the gospel, here's what I see in my life, and I think you can relate. This is the paradigm I see begin to arise. We live in an if-then relationship with God. In other words, if I do this, then God will do this. <laughs> if I can do ABC, then God will accept me, love me, save me, keep me, whatever it may be. Then God will hear me. It's an if-then relationship. The problem with that is your whole walk now is contingent on your, it's purely on your obedience, not on, the, on Christ's obedience. When you do well, you feel successful. When you do not do well, you feel like a failure and you've been cut off from God. <laughs> but there is another way God wants us to engage with him. It's not an if-then. It's a because-therefore. Yes. So Romans 5 says, because I've been justified with Christ, therefore I have peace with God. <laughs> because Christ has done ABC, therefore I live in XYZ. <laughs> because Christ has made me this, therefore I walk like this. Yes. The because-therefore is is a life of radical obedience, radical transformation, but it's all centered on the finished work of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's number one. I feel like God wants to break off. We've got to stand in the gospel because that thing will creep in our heart. Second thing, and we'll finish off here, is if you can go to 1 John. First John chapter 3. And we're going to look specifically at verses 19 and 20. So one thing I pray God will break off is that heart going back into a, this works-based relationship. Remember what we said last week, difference between legalism and obedience. Outwardly, it looks the same. The, the difference is inwardly. Legalism is wrong motives, right outward action. We're trying to do something that only Christ could accomplish. We don't want legalism. But obedience is right. We should be very obedient, but obedience is right motive leading to right action. My motive is I am, I've been declared holy. I've been declared light. I've been declared free. Therefore, I walk in freedom. I walk in the light. I walk in holiness. And when I stumble along the way, I'm still those things because I'm fully trusting in what Jesus has done in my life. Yeah? All right. Let's look at this one. In many ways, this is actually what I felt more burning in my heart. Not that we're spending longer, much time on it, but I really felt God highlighting this. 
I'm going to read verse 19 and 20. Here's the second reason why I think the Lord wants to stand in the gospel. By this, this is the John writing with a real pastoral heart. Verse 19, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and we are sure our heart before him. Okay, stop for a moment. John says, by this we shall know the truth. First and foremost, anytime you see in the scriptures, especially John's writings, John's letters, the gospel revelation, whenever you see the definite article the before truth, he's not speaking about any truth, he's speaking about gospel truth. There's a specific truth that John has in mind. How do we know? What John wants us, John wants us to know that we are of the truth. Do you know that? Do you know that God does not want you walking through life always wondering where you stand with him? But that's how a lot of us live. If we're honest, if I'm honest, many times we ask the question, am I of the truth? Am I saved? And we won't go as far as to say no, but we'll stop in this middle ground of, well, I don't know. That's just as dangerous. God does not want you walking through life saying, I don't know where I'm at with you, Lord. No, he wants you to be confident that you are of the truth and that you, that you belong to God, that you belong to the gospel, that you've been born from above, that the seed of God is in you because only then can you find traction to run fully after God. So verse 19 again, he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Reassure means to restore confidence. Some, I think today, need to have a restoring of confidence. God wants to restore your confidence. Now you say, why? Why would I need restored confidence? Well, look at the next verse. Here's the key. For whenever our heart condemns us. There it is. For whenever our heart condemns us. Ready? God is greater than our heart. <laughs> and he knows everything. Now stay with me for a moment. John says, I want you to know that you're of the truth as a believer, and I want you to know you belong to the gospel, and I want to restore confidence because here's the issue, whenever your heart condemns you. Whenever. Meaning, John's saying as believers, that word whenever is not occasional, maybe every once in a while. That word whenever carries the implication of high frequency. John knows because of our fallen nature and because we have a real accuser that we are so prone to daily begin to doubt and question our relationship with God and fall into self-condemnation. John knows that as fallen beings, all of us just have a tendency to begin to pile up reasons as to why God is ready to cast us out. And if you don't have those reasons, I promise you there's an accuser who's telling you day in, day out. <laughs> And here's the amazing thing is even if it's not anything specific, just over time, there's this general sense that somehow God is drifting from me. Christ is withdrawing, putting his hands out at an arm's length, saying, I'm tired of you, I'm growing indifferent with you, I'm bored with you, whatever it may be. All of us begin to find ourselves there, and John knows it. All of us hear the voice of that accuser whispering that says, sure, believe the gospel, but up until a certain point. <laughs> now you've backed God into a corner. Now, now you've taken him to a place where God is fed up and it's over. John knows that the heart is prone to fall into self-condemnation. John knows that the consciousness of our inconsistencies, how many of you have a consciousness of your inconsistencies? <laughs> they will compel you to constantly question where you stand with God. John knows that our consciousness will summon us to a tribunal within of which a court case plays itself out in my life sometimes daily. And the verdict I find is condemned, condemned, guilty. You're not of God. You don't know God. John knows this stuff is always playing out in our hearts. And the pastoral heart of John is he says, I want you to know you're of the truth. 
I want to show how you get free, guys. And what I'm trying to say is you don't get free by just doing more things for God. You get free by trusting in the blood of Jesus. The way you trusted in him the first time is the way you have to trust today. Religion says you're bound. Do this. Read more. Pray more. Go do that more. I thank God for those disciplines. But what the Bible says is if you're bound and your conscience is defiled, look upon the Lord and trust in him. If that's where you are, that's the only way that you can come out of this. So we've got the random thought that just begins to creep up after a while that says, give up. <laughs> like, if I'm honest, that thought comes around more than I like to admit. Give up, because God's given up on you. So you give up on him. <laughs> so what do we do when our conscience begins to defile us? Well, like, what do we do when our conscience begins to accuse us? What do we appeal? Where do we turn? Surely John wanted to give us more than just the problem, but the solution as well. <laughs> and thank God he did. Let's read verse 20 again. He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Isn't it interesting? The omniscience of God, I think, would be a, something that would be terrifying in this moment. <laughs> but actually what John says is God knowing everything is a source of comfort for you right now. What, what is he saying here when he says, whenever your heart condemns you, here's how you're going to come over it. God is greater than your heart. I believe this is what he's saying. He's saying because we're fallen, we can't even trust our own verdicts in our life. While we're saying guilty, while we're saying lost, while we're saying not a son, this, whatever it may be, what John's saying, here's how you overcome. Know that God's verdict is greater than yours. Which means the way you come out of a condemned heart is we have to stand in the gospel daily. Because when your heart condemns you and it feels so real and so strong, saying whatever it may be, John's saying you have to know that God's verdict is greater because he knows everything. Do you know what God has done with your sin? <laughs> this is where we're going over the next few weeks. It's amazing what the Lord has done. Do you know that it says that he has trampled our sin under his foot? Do you know that it says he's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west? Do you know that he's cast our sin into the, uh, to the, to the sea of forgetfulness? Do you know that it says he's taken our sin and put it behind his back? <laughs> Do you know that it says he's blotted out our sin? Do you know that it said he's cleansed you of your sin? Do you know that it says he's turned his face away from your sin? Do you know these things? So then when your verdict inside is saying, Andrew, guilty, guilty, give up. I've got to come before the gospel and say, no, my God says I'm washed, I'm cleansed, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed. It's the only way. Listen, my heart is not to provide you with some glib and shallow response. But, but I, I really want to provide substance that will propel you by grace to overcome a defiled conscience. There is actually substance for when your heart begins to condemn you. My hope is that layers of disbelief over the next few weeks are going to peel away. <laughs> and something of gospel relief will touch your heart. And actually something of God's own joy will actually become yours. Because that's the scripture. How many of you know that one of the two, two primary marks of being a follower, child of God, is peace and joy? Yet if I'm really honest, many times it feels like I get a little touch here, a little touch there. Most of the time, it's because we're not really sure what God has done with our sin. If you know what he's done, peace and joy can touch your heart to run after him now. So I'm going to close it out right here because I can't leave you with just real quick a little gospel relief today. <laughs> I promise to be quick, but I can't just lead you to another week. So I just want to share Hebrews chapter 9. Mark, if, uh, if you could hook me up. Debo. I'm going to call you Debo. I don't know why, but I am. No. Never mind. Mark DiBernardo. So I want to 
Just even just take this last minute together and we're going to trust in his verdict today. Yes? And listen, if you don't know Jesus, this is amazing. God is offering himself this morning to you. <laughs> or if you've been walking as a believer, a seasoned saint with a condemned conscience, or, and listen, maybe you're really a believer, but you really have bondage in your life. This is the way out. This is the way out. God will show you things to practically do, but the way, the Mandalorian, this is the way. <laughs> this is the way, Jesus. It begins with Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews gives us, I believe, an even fuller message to what John was just writing. So let's read verse 13 and 14. That's where I'm at, Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, I'll give you a sec to get there, 13 and 14. See the weight just lifting off. <laughs> the weight lifting off in Jesus' name. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Lift the weight off your people, Lord. Lord, that we would walk in every good work that you have for us, God. We're not trying to settle in a neutral place, God. We want to pursue. We want to be a hungry people. We want to obey in every way, Lord. But Lord, we want to do it with a heart that's free, Lord. We want to do it in everything that you've died for. So even as we read over these verses, God, I just pray, let, let, let where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Let the Spirit of God come upon people that need liberty today, Lord. Lead them to the Son. Lead them to the cross. In Jesus' name. So two verses I want to read. It's amazing how some of the greatest truths are found in the most obscure places. Verse 13, the writer of Hebrews is comparing Old Testament sacrifices to what Jesus did, his sacrifice. And he says this, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. So what he's saying is if Animal sacrifices could produce an external cleansing. That's all they could do, but they did produce an external cleansing, a ceremonial cleansing, if you will, so that God's people could enter into God's community and worship and pray. But he's saying that's as far as it could go. But if it could still do that, look at verse 14. Is there any sweeter words than how much more? <laughs> how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offered himself without blemish to God. Why? To purify, here it is, this is what John was getting at before, to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Can you, something's amazing. Something's not written here, but I believe it is there. <laughs> and here, here's what's amazing. I was thinking about this text, and I was thinking about that the reference is being made back to the days of Moses. Now, Moses lived, what, four or 5,000 years ago? Now, think about where we are today. Think about 21st century America and think about four or 5,000 years ago. Uh, you're, in, you're in Africa, Egypt, slash Middle East, nomads traveling through the wilderness. I want you to think about the difference of life. Think about what they had access to. Think about what they were living for. And then think about 21st century America. I, put it this way, in spite of, all of the advancements we've made as a society. <laughs> we think we're so advanced, we've made all these technological advancements, we've got 
genetic coding, we've got sophisticated automobiles, whatever it may be. We're so far removed from the days of Moses, but what Hebrews tells us is that even though we have advanced in many ways, there is still one fundamental need of every human heart. No matter how much changes, and even if the Lord does not return for another 4,000 years, what Hebrews is telling us is that there will always remain one fundamental need of the human heart. What is the problem that every human faces in every culture, in every tribe, in every language throughout history? It is that they have a defiled conscience. We have a dirty conscience. <laughs> Apart from the Lord, this is the problem that we all struggle with, a stained spirit and soul. The writer of Hebrews has a mind, it's the heart that is wicked and wayward and in all of its attempts does not seem to be able to make itself back to a relationship with God. What is the solution according to the writer of Hebrews? The blood of Jesus. It has always been and will always be the blood of Jesus. The blood of Old Testament animals could only wash one externally. But nothing could regenerate. Nothing could give a new heart. Nothing could give new hope. Nothing could give a new start. Nothing could open the door for the Spirit of God to live in you. Everyone from the days of Moses to now has been longing for this one man, Jesus, to shed his blood, to do what every conscience is longing for. I want to feel forgiven. I want to know that I'm forgiven. Everyone knows because everyone knows, every person walking down these streets intrinsically because God has written the law in their heart. They know that God is morally serious. We all know that. But what we also now know is that God is mercifully generous. And what happens at the cross is there's a collision with the moral seriousness of God and the merciful generous of God. And they collide in the man of Christ so that we could come out. Romans says that's why God is both the just and the justifier. He really did carry out the full payment of sin, death. But he paid it for us that we really could be justified by God. <laughs> there is only one way. And there will always only be one way. No matter if you're following hard after God right now and you feel like, man, my heart feels condemned, it's still the blood of Jesus for your life. And look at verse 14. And from what is our conscience purified or cleansed? Listen carefully. He purifies our conscience, read it, from dead works. I believe the writer has in mind everything we've ever tried to do, Everything we've ever gave, sacrificed, promised, everything we've ever thought in hopes that it would redeem our soul or bring rest to our conscience, heart, and mind. And the writer says, it never worked. Every work is dead. Why is it called a dead work? Because nothing can reconcile you to God. And nothing is still holding you to God. Listen, you know what's keeping you right now? It's not your grip. It's God's grip on your life. Do, do, you, do you know that? That's very important. Because if you don't, every, every act of obedience will be out of fear and insecurity. You're, you're always doing something so that you don't lose something or trying to keep something. Once you know the grip of God on your life by the blood of Jesus, now you're free to walk after him in love. Because notice what it says. It says specifically that he purifies a conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You want, to, you want to be able to wholeheartedly run after God? Live for Him. Lay your life down. Live a life for His glory. You need your conscience purified. How is that? Not by your works, by the blood of Jesus. It's the only way. You know what's another word for dead works? Religion. You know what Christ, you know what His blood has purified us from? Religion. Man's attempt to be made right with God. I said it before. Religion says, oh, you feel guilty? You feel dirty? Do this. 
Do more of this. Do that. And it can disguise itself in sounding so good. But you know what the gospel says? You feel dirty? Look at what he did. That's your only way. And then from looking at him, you will begin to serve him and walk after him with a whole heart. That's the full picture. But it begins with him. So here, here's, here's the summary. Jesus, Jesus' blood has cleansed us from a guilty, defiled conscience so that we can wholeheartedly run after God. It's beautiful, it's magnificent, but I want to share one last thing that I think is really important and we're going to pray. Is that I believe this wound, as amazing as it is, it does not come easily. Do you know why? <laughs> At least in part, it's not because there's a deficiency in God or his gospel. <laughs> it's not for, because anything with God. The reason why I think it's so hard to trust in the suffering of Jesus and what he did is because sin has hardwired us to inflict self-punishment when we do something wrong. This is what I noticed. This is one of the great traps. One of the number one things is sin has hardwired us for self-punishment. In other words, this is what happens in my heart. Here's what I see. Here's a, here, I'll, put it, I'll put this a lot. I see individuals who begin to stumble in their walk with God, and you know what they do? They don't come around the church anymore. <laughs> you know why? Because they feel like if they can punish themselves long enough, they'll be punished into righteousness. Yeah. I see it all the time in all different ways. I do it in the most perverted ways. God, I feel like I should have given you this. You know what? I won't talk to you, God, until I get a good week of devotions again. As if I can punish myself into right standing with God. My friends, it sounds really good. It's blasphemy, though. You know why? Because it says that the blood of Jesus couldn't accomplish something that my suffering can. It says my suffering can do something that his, you can't suffer your way into right standing with God. If you're struggling in sin, you can't say, oh, I'm not going to show up enough. I'm not going to read the word because I can't read the word. No, you've got to cast yourself on Jesus this morning. You've got to say, Jesus, I need to know your verdict over my life. God, I, I need to know what you've done with my sin. God, I need to wash over me again, Lord. I need to, not just intellectually, but I got to feel that in my heart. Amen? Yes. Can the worship team come forward?